Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's the best approach to take. Find something you're passionate about, get involved, something you enjoy, and then build business relationships will ultimately come from that. Before we get into today's episode, are you a fix and flipper who needs some money? You need to maybe do more deals and you're limited by the funds you have available. Well then, Fund That Flip, today's best ever sponsor, has a solution for you. And you know Fund That Flip, right? Your loyal best ever listener, the founder, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show multiple times. And they have been a previous sponsor and they love working with the best ever listeners. And they provide short-term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy, and you can get funded in as few as seven days. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, go to fundthatflip.com and mention that, well, you heard about it on the Best Ever Show. Best Ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff. We're doing follow along Friday today, and we are going to talk about observations that we've had over the last week or so, what we're up to, and really think about throughout this conversation, as we always do, how this applies to you. Because it's less about what we got going on, it's more about what we got going on as it relates to helping you along your journey. So how do we want to kick it off? Well, I'd say we start with your observation. I know you've, you've done some, some exclusive interviews lately you wanted to discuss today. Yeah, I interviewed Jay Williams. He is a former NBA basketball player. Mm-hmm. He was drafted in the first round by the Chicago Bulls in, I believe, 2002. And he's actually the second overall pick. He was the one behind Yao Ming. Oh, yeah. He was behind Yao Ming, so number two overall pick. He played for Duke. Played for Duke in college. Yep, played for Duke in college, Coach K. And we talked about Coach K a little bit in the interview. And he was, I believe, all-rookie second team in his first year as a NBA player. And then he got on a motorcycle in, the, I believe, the summer offseason or whenever offseason is for NBA. And he ended up crashing it into a pole at 60, 70 miles an hour. And that ended his career as an NBA player. And what we talked about is 
just overcoming adversity, number one. Number two, because I figured he's talked about that story a lot since mm-hmm. it happened approximately 15 years ago. So I didn't want to focus that much time on the story. We know what happened and now what has transpired since mm-hmm. then. And one of the things he mentioned is that he's got these different ventures. He's an ESPN analyst for college basketball. He is involved with a talent agency to negotiate contracts with sports stars and brands and branded content, basically. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot of different things he's done really well. And he talked about how he brings in people into his team. And he makes it incredibly challenging to do so. And one of the things that he mentioned that really resonated with me is a story. And he said that he created an internship. And when he was seeking applicants for the internship, he got tons and tons of people, because of who he is. And the people would write these long, long emails and messages and put together this bunch of stuff. But then there was no follow-up afterwards Mm -hmm. with the applicants. That was all they did. They wrote a long email or they did an application and there was nothing else that was special about it. And he talks about the way that he looks at it is he measures hustle and how do you consistently hustle throughout your professional life. It's how he got to where he was at Duke, where he's really successful, and then in one year of the NBA, consistently hustling, and as a professional, too, consistently hustling. And so let me just finish that story. So he got a bunch of applicants. None of them, except for maybe one or two, actually had some follow-up after they submitted stuff. And then the person that got the internship, and Jay said, okay, you got the internship, now go. And the person's like, oh, I was waiting for you to give me some stuff. And he's like, no, 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 you know what I'm looking for. You go make some stuff happen and you come back to me. It was that sort of entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. hustle mentality that he looks for. And it's so true. That is what's required as successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs. And what this reminds me of so often is when I speak at a conference and afterwards people come up and there's usually a long line of people. Well, I'd say nine out of 10 of them have expressed some desire to stay in touch or work with me or learn other things that we talk about. But one out of 20 probably have some sort of follow-up afterwards and usually none. And the reason why I'm guessing is because generally speaking, people do what is convenient for them at the time when in reality, when it's inconvenient for you, that's usually when you'll make most of the difference. For example, when people are at a conference, it's very convenient to walk up to the speaker because they're already there, that's top of mind. But when it's not top of mind later, that's when you really break through with the outreach to the particular speaker. So it's important to consistently hustle. And it reminded me of just the things that I see with our culture in general, wanting instant gratification and not consistently doing stuff over a long period of time. And that's something I wanted to point out. Yes. Well, two things that's interesting there is one, he's a Beth J. Williams story. He's such a big name. You would think that he's getting probably thousands and thousands of applications and you'd expect that 
maybe get 100 people following up, but the fact that only a couple followed up for someone like him mm-hmm. is just kind of interesting, and it kind of proves your point. That doesn't really matter who it's actually happening for. Mm-hmm. The follow-up or following up when it's inconvenient to you is difficult. Um, the second thing, too, I resonates with me because I felt myself doing it, particularly at your conference, where you know there's all these speakers around that are super successful real estate investors, and you're talking to them and you're asking for advice. In the moment, you feel super jacked up. It's like, man, if I was like this at all times, like throughout the year, I would have a billion properties at that point. But the hard part is taking that motivation or, or whatever that is that you have in that moment and having it continue with you when you're not when you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. Because you can listen to podcasts, you can go to conference, but that's not where most of the work's done. Most of the work's done, at least from my perspective, from my properties, is just the day-to-day grind of figuring out maintenance issues. This is for, for smaller properties. I'm sure it's different for you, but mm-hmm. you're figuring out maintenance issues, tenant relationships, like things that you would never even think of because you're used to listening to kind of like the high-level stuff, and you can't really get into the bigger details mm-hmm. at a conference because you'd be talking to them for 10 hours to get yeah. all the information. Like I feel like every time I come on fall on Friday, I've got... So much information I could say that happened from the past week of things that I never even thought would happen in real estate. So mm-hmm. I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah, it's just we're in the moment at the time, but then what does it take to maintain that mindset? And I'm actually going to unleash the power within in Palm Beach it's next week. I've done it before. One of the things I learned the last time I went is that you control the emotions that you experience at any point in time. You're in control of it. Now... It might not seem that way, but you choose to experience the emotions that you experience. Certainly, you might immediately get pissed off about something, but then if you actually think about, okay, here's what I'm experiencing and here's emotions, then you can actually decide how you feel. I think Abraham Lincoln said that. He gets a lot of quotes attributed to him. I don't know how many he actually (laughs) said, but I think he said you can choose to be happy, something along those lines. And you can choose to have that persistent, consistent hustle, it's just a matter of making that conscious choice and also having enough pain associated to it for not doing it and pleasure associated to it for doing it. And I think momentum helps too. Like It's a lot harder once you start building a momentum than it's Gets easy. Like once you're building momentum, practicing yeah. doing what you're talking Seeing about. Seeing the results. So you, is that the main one, like the week-long seminar? That's Stay With it? Destiny. This okay. is Unleash the Power Within. This is, I think, four days, maybe three days. A Date With Destiny is one week. Okay, so That's the the documentary that was pretty mm-hmm. weak. That was not, I wasn't, wasn't <laughs> a fan of. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing some, because I'm sure you have a lot of insights from that. Yes, too, yes, so. I, will, I will take notes. Cool. Let's see, what else? I mentioned going to Unleash the Power Within. Also... Tomorrow, headed to Lubbock, Texas, because I'm on the alumni advisory board there. I've been going to the advisory board meetings for almost 10 years, I think. Wow. And uh, maybe not 10. That makes me seem really old. <laughs> but uh, yeah, maybe about 10, I don't know, like eight, nine years I've been on the board. And that is something we've talked about before. That's something that I have built relationships through and over a million dollars worth of investors have come from the Texas Tech Alumni Advisory Board. That is not something I joined in anticipation of finding investors Mm -hmm. because I wasn't doing this 10 years ago. I was in advertising. It was just something that I feel passionate about helping students and then that's the best approach to take. Find something you're passionate about, get involved, something you enjoy, and then build business relationships will 
ultimately come from that. Is that an annual event? It's an annual event. I don't think I've missed a year. I go every year, and Colleen is coming with me for the first time. She's going to see dusty West Texas, red dirt cows and cotton fields, but it's also a place that has people who are true to their word and people who mean what they say, and there's a place in my heart for it, so I'm a big fan of going back. Anything else going on? I think that's all I, I got. What's going on with your properties? Let's see. Since we last recorded the podcast, I remember I was talking about the boiler issues I had, mm-hmm. and I can't remember if I mentioned this or not, but there was another issue. Originally, remember how I was telling a story about how there was some minor noise on one of the boilers, and yeah. the tenants were complaining about it, yeah. and went in there, and it was nothing? Well, I had another complaint from the other building about noise, and this one was an actual issue. And the second I went in there, I knew exactly what it was, because the same problem I had on the furnace at my house. You're getting good at boilers. Kind of. I'm getting good at diagnosing them. I can't, like, I don't touch them at all. I'm getting good at at least diagnosing what the problem is. I kept getting notifications from multiple tenants saying that there's, like, these loud, like, clanking noises in the walls, and they think it's from the radiators. And one of them was even, like, sending me Google image screenshots of, like, what the potential solution was. And I went there, and for the boiler, you've got like a, still a motor on the boiler, uh-huh. and the motor wouldn't fire up. And so the boiler would turn on, the burner would turn on, and then the motor would go to kick on, and it wouldn't work. And I guess the motor, I'm not sure if it actually cools it down, but the motor doesn't kick on, and the system overheats, and then there's this like relief valve that will release, mm-hmm. and makes like a ton of noise. And so that's what was happening. And it's actually the same thing that happened at my friends at home, where my floor wouldn't turn on, and the system would make like these really weird noises because it wasn't running properly. Well, anyway, so I had the guy come in and look at it and it ended up being, luckily he only charged me for the actual motor itself. Like he didn't charge me for any of the labor because I've been paying him so much money. But now for the past week and a half, I've had no complaints about the boilers. We went through and tested all the boilers. So they all work. So yeah. after I calculated this morning, it was $8,400 to get all three boilers up and running, which I believe is less than the cost of placing one full boiler. What was the down payment for one of those properties? I don't know, like 55000 Oh, okay. All right. So, so that, not, <laughs> not quite up there. <laughs> not quite up for... And we're pulling it out There's of the, still room, though. There's still hope. You can try and match your boiler expense to your down payment, because that'd be a good story. It would be a good story. I don't want that happening, but it would be a good story in a couple of years from now. <laughs> but luckily, the rents are high enough at the properties. That's like two and a half, three months profit. That's a loss, which obviously sucks, yeah. but... It's not like a whole year wiped out. If it was like a single family, oh, and the yeah. boiler went out, like a year or two years might have been wiped out. So that's, that's kind of the positive of having four units. That's a great point. And we always talk about economies of scale, but getting into a specific example like that is helpful to illustrate the point of economies of scale with multifamily properties versus single family. Because when my tenant moves out in one of my homes and we repair a bunch of stuff, 5000 bucks. And there's profit for 250 bucks a month, so mm-hmm. whatever that is. More than one year, I'll tell you that. And you've got $8,400 worth of expenses for a boiler, and then you recoup that in about three months. Yeah, which would be nice. If you have any personal funds, which is nice, it's all from you know collecting the rent the first month without having to pay a mortgage payment with basically what, because we got to keep all the rent, mm-hmm. minus you know water bills and stuff like that. So that basically covered all these boiler expenses. It's so interesting because I bought the duplex. I was at a similar all-in price for my first duplex that I was for each of these individual properties. And, and each of these individual properties are four units. Or four right? units. So you, you bought your first duplex. You're talking yeah. about. Okay. The rents are 
higher for the fourplex, even though each of the individual units are lower than you know, the two huh. duplex units. Different area? Uh, a different area, for sure. Because the duplex was in Oakley, which is a lot nicer area oh. than the area I'm living in. But and based off of the rents that I've been seeing, I'm going to be able to increase the rents in this one and get even more. And if you look at it from a strictly the rent-to-purchase price ratio, it's well above 1%, uh-huh. for sure. And it's going to go even higher here soon. So I'm going to go look at a duplex tomorrow. That's off-market that I got through my real estate agent. But I don't even know if I want to buy mm-hmm. duplexes anymore because I can get a fourplex for the same price as a duplex and have more units. For the same price? Yeah, so I can get a four-unit for you know, 220 was what I bought this fourplex for. Or I get a duplex for two twenty. Oh well. So I was like, why am I? Why would I ever buy a duplex yeah. unless you know, the rents are twice as high as each of the individual four units? And obviously, there's higher expenses for a four unit, and you have more contact with your residents. But I've just been very surprised at how much more smoother the four units run compared to the two unit. So cause, I mean, I've got six times as many units as. I did before, and like I feel like I'm spending amount of time. Really? <laughs> yeah. After even after all the boiler stuff, you feel like you spend the same amount of time on 12 units as you were two. Yeah, I'm comparing apples to apples because right at the beginning of my two unit, I was there all the time, getting everything fixed up and uh, kind of turned and ready to go for the new residence. So time will tell if things continue to fall apart at this property. Then yeah, I'll spend then a lot more time there. You were doing unit turns to get them prepared on the duplex, but you haven't done it unit turn yet on this? There was one unit that was vacant. Oh, okay. So you got in there and you got some rubber Actually, gloves no. on and scrubbed things? and it was, it was all done. I guess I what I'm saying is after the two units, once they were actually done, I still had to go in there. I feel like all the time because these small things would happen, there'd be leaks here or yeah. an issue with their uh, plumbing here. And so I felt like I was spent the first couple months, I was spending a lot of time there just like with the four unit, but what's even nice with the four units is that I can tie it up so that if I got something I need to do here, here, and here, I can go once instead of you know, three separate times. Yep. The economy of scale is what's used. If you've got, it's the same thing. If you've got two issues in two different units, or three issues in three different units, you can go there at once, as opposed to having to go to you know, different locations, different times of the day. So it's just, mm-hmm. I just think it's overall a lot more convenient <laughs> to have four units compared to the, the duplex from my three months of experience so and far. You, you, but you have more experience with the duplex, so. Mm-hmm. You said you got off-market deal. How did you obtain this off-market opportunity? My realtor just texted me. He's like, hey, I got this deal. Do you want to come take a look at it? They haven't posted it publicly no, or anything. It's funny. We get breakfast every once in a while, and she like always tells me she looks at me as like her son. Okay. And so even if we're... Roll, roll with it. I have some yeah. problem with it, basically. Yeah, go with that angle. We get breakfast, and she's really nice, and whenever she gets any sort of off-market deal. Usually they're two units. That's kind of my main off-market lead source. You just need one. Ideally, you have three sources that are bringing you deals, but if you've got one, but you're only going to close on one at a time, usually. Exactly. So that's great. And, and she also offered to do that direct mailing for me. So I got to like send her like a spreadsheet of what I want, mm-hmm. and then she'll pay for And how did you be, get in the professional relationship with one of my good friends bought a property so it was going back in time when I was I don't know, maybe back in 2013 it had it been 2013 2014 I met a guy at work my best friend now and he bought a duplex I don't know maybe three or four years prior at this time and that's who he used as his agent did she send him the off-market deals not anymore not anymore <laughs> 
kind of uh, ruined that relationship. Uh, okay. All right. But I stayed, I, I stayed on board. and It's not like I had to consciously try to hold the relationship. It's just like, kind of just like a normal, friendly yeah, relationship. Yeah, He ruined it. It's a little silly, but he just didn't use her on a deal, uh-huh. like to buy a deal. And she kind of felt betrayed. And then they had a weird falling out. And then I was like, oh, well, this is more deal for me then. All right. There you go. The third thing that I just, kind of as observation, not really any sort of, of lesson I can think of, but... Something I didn't really think about as much, you know, when I was listening to podcasts, just doing strictly research as opposed to doing it firsthand, is kind of like the relationship you have with tenants, especially if you're going to be managing the properties. Mm-hmm. And if I could go back, a couple of things I would do differently is I would one definitely have a Google number and not give them my personal number. Yes. But two, I set expectations for how I want to approach maintenance issues. So, for example, something I didn't do is when I initially reached out, I didn't follow up after I asked them to provide me with a list of issues that they had mm-hmm. and then also telling them if you have any maintenance issues whatsoever no matter how big or small like let me know and then I'll decide what we'll do about it mm-hmm. because I keep finding all these problems but they're not telling me I'm like having to find them myself I just happen to be in their unit doing something else and I see that their sink is leaking or I go into the garage because the garage is having problems I see there's no water leaking from the ceiling or I go over someone tells me that their drain is clogged so I go over there and then Drain's not clogged, but the property overhead has a drain that's clogged. And so it's kind of just figuring out how to have the tenants communicate to you all these issues up front so you can just address them like in a week instead of like thinking you're done and then something else popping up. So I think what I would have done differently is obviously the, the Google number, which is because things keep popping up and you know, I get a phone call on my personal phone and I don't know who it is at all. I don't know if it's someone for work, someone that I just don't have their number saved, or if it's a resident. But then also kind of following up to each individual person or maybe even doing like some sort of walkthrough in each individual unit when I yeah. first get there. With the resident. And just asking them what issues do you have? You know, what do you have any leaks? Are your radiators not working? Just so I can kind of proactively get ahead of things instead of being reactive because mentally it feels a lot differently. Mm-hmm. When I'm proactively addressing things I feel like I'm doing something or when it's reactive I'm just like, oh my God, it's like a headache. Yeah. Yep. Especially if you go with the drain thing and they don't have it but then next door they do or both of them have it's like, oh wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I can see that. And I'm speculating now so take that for what it's worth but it might be a couple things. One is they are still getting used to the maintenance being addressed when they say something. And two, could be ease of sending that information to you Mm. if there's a really quick and easy way of doing that versus them thinking they have to write an email or pick up the phone and call if they just maybe brainstorm it, but take a picture and text it to a number and then you have all these pictures in your Dropbox or something, it automatically maybe sends the Dropbox and then you just log in and see if there's any pictures mm. and see who the number's from. I don't know, but those might be a couple reasons. At the end of the day, though, if it's bad enough, hopefully they'll start communicating. But if you do the walkthrough, then yeah. certainly that will cover anything that's present at that time. I think the first point you made about them getting used to maintenance, I think something else that is important, we kind of talked about this before, but having a conversation with at least a couple of the residents during the due diligence period, just to ask them, either directly or indirectly, how the current owner is approaching maintenance requests. Yes. Like, do you have maintenance requests that are outstanding that the owner hasn't addressed for a while? Because that's one of the biggest issues in this particular situation is that the owner didn't address any of the maintenance. And so once, I think, from the resident's perspective, once they have one issue addressed, 
like, oh wow, this guy's like on top of it. So they keep sending more and more in, and which is, I guess, which is fine. But it's just, it, it kind of just gets overwhelming sometimes. But it is what it is. But I think you know, your idea of somehow because some of them do send pictures, which is very helpful. Mm-hmm. But somehow automating it so it's all coming to one thing versus one's an email, one's a text, and one a phone call. Mm-hmm. So those are my three major updates. So I'll you know, talk about how my showing went next week. Cool. All right. Yeah, next week I'll be in Florida for Unleash the Power Within, so we'll pick up following Friday. Two weeks. For the Best Ever Conference, Terrell Fletcher is going to be speaking, one of our new speakers. You can go to besteverconference.com and see all the speakers. Terrell, for anyone who isn't an NFL fan, then I will let you know. He is a former NFL player. Typically, you see... Bigger guys make the NFL, and Terrell could kick my butt, but relative to other NFL players, he is smaller, especially for his position, which was running back. And he basically had to create a niche for himself as an NFL player, and he did a great job of it for the San Diego Chargers. So he is now retired, and he's very inspirational when he talks. And I don't know if the interview I did with him has aired. It's, yeah, it's aired. It aired. Okay, so you're familiar with him then, Best Ever Listeners. He's me speaking at the conference and many others. So if you haven't got your tickets yet, then go to besteverconference.com or at least go there and check out all the speakers. The last thing, we're writing another book. Yep. You wanted to mention that today. Yeah, yeah. we're doing Hartman Syndication book, basically a how-to guide mm-hmm. from start to finish for how to do a apartment syndication that will be going live either this December or in January. Mm-hmm. Give us some buffer, right? We've got the outline. We're writing the chapters, and we're going to have a book that is much needed for everyone who is doing apartment syndication because I know there's not one out there that specifically addresses how to do an apartment syndication in the way that it allows you to pick it up and then actually follow the process. Now, no book will cover all aspects of doing apartment syndication, Mm -hmm. and ours won't either, because there's always going to be gray area in every single deal. But whenever I was studying apartment syndication, and I was looking for a book on basically a how-to guide. I didn't find one. There's some that nibble at the corners, but there is not one, in my opinion, that covers it from start to finish how you should. So that's coming out. To learn more about it, I guess you can go to apartmentsyndication.com. Make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter there, and you'll be notified once the book goes live. And finally, we're going to do our review of the week, so make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a review. This week, we've got James K. He said, I've been listening to Joe's podcast for a while now, along with a bunch of others. The thing I would say about this podcast is that it's absolutely filled with gold mines in terms of really good ideas about how you should be operating your real estate investing business. And if you're not treating a real estate investment as a business, then you should be. Now listen to the concepts he exposes in the podcast carefully, and even write some of them down. You can tell that doing monster deals and operating huge complexes are second nature to him, so he might very casually give you a checklist or advice on what you should be doing, 
but some of them could make or save you hundreds of thousands of dollars. So make sure you don't miss them. Any of these tips that we talk about today or on other episodes, they could save you or make you a whole lot of money. That's true. It's just a matter of what you do with them, right? Nothing in life has meaning until you decide what meaning you give it. Our conversation is only interpreted based on how you choose to interpret it. So thank you, James, for that review. And those reviews help because it allows us to continually get high-quality guests on the show because they'll go look at Mm -hmm. the reviews, see that we've got a loyal audience of best-ever listeners, and then they'll say, yep, thumbs up, I'm in. So thanks for listening, Theo. You got anything else? Nope, that's it. You good. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with best-selling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book, on negotiating real estate. I've read the book, lots of good real world case studies sprinkled in there too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. Tired of the noise in the real estate investing space, but still want to light your business on fire. Real Estate Deal Talk is an original source of radio shows, podcasts, case studies, and articles devoted to real estate investing. For investors, by investors. Discover more at realestatedealtalk.com. That's realestatedealtalk.com.